Uh, I have said for many years that you can get sermon illustrations from anything, correct? Yeah. So today, I know these kind of look like beer bottles up here, but, but they're really not. Um, <laughs> you're thinking, what in the world is this church all about? Uh, my favorite drink is root beer. I don't, any other root beer fans? This is what they'll have in heaven. Uh, <laughs> I, I love root beer. Uh, this is a dad's old-fashioned root beer. I, w- I was going to drink it here on stage, but I didn't want to like put some of you out like, he's getting some, I don't get any. So here's the deal. Uh, so at the end of this sermon, uh, if you're a father, uh, there is a dad's bottle of root beer for you at each of the exits. If you're a wife, I don't know, don't be grabbing one. Uh, this is for the men, so, okay? Uh, and if you're like 18 or 16, you're definitely not a father yet, so. Uh, anyway, but if you're a father, feel free to get a bottle, uh, one bottle for, per father. Uh, and uh, enjoy it. And as you drink it, hopefully you'll be able to apply that bottle uh, to your life as, as, as I'm going to do today. Because everything has an illustration built into it if you pay attention. So what in the world is spiritual about dad's root beer? A lot. Um, and how do you... Oh, oh, we're not doing Thessalonians today in case you were wondering. Yeah. Uh, and this is not going to be your normal Marty sermon, all right? It's going to be a little, di- little different. So... Um, so if you're visiting, we're just kind of pausing our study of Thessalonians uh, and, and backing up to, to celebrate fathers. So uh, the way that you make it a spiritual situation is you take the, the word dad uh, and you make it an acronym. Mm-hmm. And I, did th- I thought for weeks about this. It's like, I got two Ds, an A, and an S. What, what can they represent? So what we want to do is we want to look at the acronym dad and, and realize the spiritual import of this. This is going to change the way you re- drink dad's root beer for the rest of your lives. You ready? So, what's the first D stand for? The first D, in my mind, stands for a doer. Uh, What comes to my mind is James 1, our Lord's brother, said this. uh, But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone, and because he says anyone, that can be a father, right? That's how I... That's how I see it. So if anyone, which includes a father, is a hearer of the word, he, not a doer, uh, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, the Bible is what he's saying, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. So we'll just say that these words uh, today, because it's Father's Day, and he said anyone, so we're talking about fathers, this applies to you. So if you want to be a, a blessed father, you want to the blessing of God on you, what do you do? Um, does it matter what team you support? Why'd you get so quiet? Uh, no, no, no. If you want to be blessed, uh, you, you have to do what he says here in this passage, which is be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. So um, we want to analyze this. He says, uh, prove yourselves, prove yourselves. Uh, and, and, and I told you this can be a different sermon, but not in all ways. We still have to study grammar because the scripture is grammatical, is it not? And you come because of grammar, right? So, so when he says, prove yourself, uh, it's, it's just one verb in Greek. It's genomai. And genomai means to bring something to existence. So he said, if you want to lead a blessed life, a really uh, maturing spiritual life, uh, bring this into existence. Well, bring what into existence? That I, as a father, am known as a doer of the word, not a hearer of the word. That's a mature Christian man. That's a mature Christian uh, at all, in any, any, whoever you are. But for fathers, it says, I am a doer of the word, not just a hearer. So you have to stop and ask yourself, am I the, uh, the kind of father who knows the word of God 
And I don't just walk away from it. I know the word of God. I, I do a little bit of introspection. I see that, oh man, I need to do something about that. Uh, and then I determine this is what I need to do today uh, in light of what I just read. I don't know about you. I get up in the morning, five o'clock, 5.30, and I read. Uh, and I read my Bible. Um, and uh, I, I read my Hebrew Bible is what I do in the morning. Maybe different than what you do, but that's, that's what I do. Because uh, I like to know what the original text says. So I just finished Isaiah, and I'm reading through Second um, Kings right now. But when, I, when I'm done, I'm just like, what, what is there for me to the, today as a father, as a man, that I must do? So you need to make course corrections. You know how to use a compass? Uh-huh. Yeah, you had that. I had that merit badge as a, as a Boy Scout. I still have my compass in my top drawer in my office to remember, it's tied on a shoestring that I tied when I was probably 11 or 12 years old. I've never untied it. It's in my office. That, I use that thing all the time. But you know how they work, right? You just can't haphazardly just whatever coordinates you want, right? Because you're going to be lost. So you have to be very careful on the coordinates and, 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 and adjust them to get to the right bearing, correct? Yeah, right. You just can't go, yeah, I'm feeling it's this direction. Because if you're off two degrees on a mile hike, that's one thing. If it's a 10-mile hike and you're two degrees off, you, you're definitely not getting to the destination. So the Bible is like your compass as a father. You read it, you hear it, you understand it, and you decide to yourself, I need to make some course corrections. This is what I need to do. So does that describe your, your life as a father? Is, is that you? I'd ask myself, is that me? Is that, is that what I do? Or do I just study it to come talk to you about doing it? Well, that'd be hypocrisy, wouldn't it? And so you want to be the kind of uh, pastor, who, uh, not pastor, the person who reads the Bible and realizes, uh, Lord, I'm, there's something I need to do. I, I, so when you sit in a Bible study uh, and somebody else is teaching and you're hearing what they're saying, do you as a, as a godly father think about yourself and go, wow, that, that, that teacher's talking to me. Do you ever sit in a sermon and you think that your wife called me during the week? Because <laughs> I've had a number of you tell me, man, I feel like I was the only person in the room. And I felt like you called my wife. Did you call her? Uh, no. She call you? Mm -mm. No. That would be called the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? We have a few Christians here. And, and, the, and the Holy Spirit told me what you needed to know. I didn't know. And the Holy Spirit did. And that's the Lord tapping you on the shoulder going, hey, buddy, uh, this is for you today. And you need to do something about that. So um, when you look at this passage, that's what you're asking yourself. Am I a doer or am I a hearer? So in verse 23, he says a conditional clause. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, well, let me give you an illustration. What's he like? He's like the guy that looks in his, his, his face in a mirror. Um, did you do this? I, did you, man, did you look at a mirror this morning? I can't really see anybody because of the lights, but you, you made some analysis of your face this morning when you, yeah. So did you make some modifications? <laughs> Did your wife make more modifications than you or? Yeah, she's pulling out, you know, 15 brushes and, uh, you know, all kinds of cosmetic things. But what'd you do? Shave. shave, thank God, you shave. Yes, yes. What else, what else did you do? Combed your hair, thank you. Because it was probably going in different directions, right? What, what else, anything else? You brush your teeth, thank you so much. You're in the front row too, so. Uh, brush, brush your teeth, zit, you got a goatee, got a beard? Anybody? You got, did you trim it? No. I know you don't. You're like six years old. No, it, it will happen later. So did you shave? Did you trim the beard? Like I have a little shaver. So I just run it over there really quick, trim around the perimeter. Got to look nice, tight, squared away. If I came bushy, somebody would be going, what's up with you? You know? So you see yourself in the mirror. And what's a mirror tell you? The mirror tells you, you got some things you need to work on, right? Now, a person who is not a doer of the word 
because uh, the Bible's like a mirror. So when I read it, it's like, oh man, I see myself. And then I need to do something about that. I need to fix it. That's what a mirror's for. It's not for you to stand in front of it going, yeah, I'm looking good. <laughs> it's not about that. It's like, uh, you, need, you, need, you need some help. And so uh, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like the guy that looks in the mirror and, doesn't, and sees what's the matter doesn't make any modifications. So well, I want to point out two grammatical things I find very interesting in what he just said that you can't see in the English text, but you can in the Greek text. So the hearer and the doer is very interesting. To do, poietai is the word. Uh, to hear is akroatai. Sound familiar? Sounds similar. Poetai akroatai. They, they have the same kind of ending. Now, that might mean nothing to you. It means a lot to me. And we need to talk about it because the Spirit of God put it in here. It's two plural endings put on these two pivotal words. A doer, a poetai, and a hearer, a kroatai. It has this plural ending. Why? Uh, this is called paranomasia. You ever heard of paranomasia? Okay, well, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Why do you go to church? <laughs> oh, we go to learn. So paranomasia is a, is a tool, a grammatical tool that you would use to get people to... Remember, they didn't have the written word back then. So how am I going to remember what James is talking about? He makes his words rhyme. You know what I'm saying? He makes the word rhyme, so it's like, which kind of man are you? Am I a poetai or am I a croatai? Ooh, I can't forget that. What do we say? Well, I'm a doer or I'm a hearer. Which one are you? It's a, it's a, it's a teaching device uh, because he wants you to grow in the faith by being a doer, not just a hearer. Um, which kind of man are you? He says uh, on the con- converse, any, verse 25, anyone who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You want to lead a blessed life? Well, then do what God says. You don't look at it and go, my wife needs to read this. My son needs to get all over this. No, you read it and you think, oh, man, Lord, I am convicted. I am convicted. So you kind of wonder, like, why do some people not read the Bible? Because of that. It's convicting. But once it convicts you and you as a man of God step up to the plate and say, me and my house, we're going to know the Lord and we're going to follow the Lord. And it starts with me. He who looks intently at the perfect law. That's the word of God. Now, the word look intently. Uh, it, look intently, is a word in, in Greek. Remember I've told you before, if you take a preposition and you wed it to a verb, it intensifies the meaning. I've told you this. It's the same. You've been here before? Yeah. So a preposition wedded to a verb intensifies the meaning. So it's wedded to a word which means to bend over, to look at something, huh? But it's got a preposition in front of it, para, which means you really bend over. This is, this is the word that was used when uh, Mary goes to the tomb in John 20, verse 5, and peers in to see the empty grave clothes of Jesus, like the mummified great, 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 great grave clothes that weighed about 120 pounds, and it's like a cocoon, and they're not unwrapped, but there's no body in there. Like, where'd the body go? Uh, right through the clothing. And when she walked into the tomb, and I was just at, at, at the tomb of Jesus just a couple of weeks ago, uh, when you go into the tomb, you got you to gotta bend down to get in there. And you get down, and you, then you turn to the right, and then there's the, 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 the stone where they laid Christ's body on, on, on your right. And they, they theorized that he was taller because they had to carve the stone at a different time longer uh, for the body that they laid there. So they assumed that Jesus was Saul, if that's where they laid him. And, and, and she looked intently. I mean, really looked intently. Wouldn't you? If you saw the empty gray clothes at Christ, like, how do you get through the clothing? Uh, and so it says, when you are a, a, a godly father growing up in the faith, you don't just casually look at the Bible. You bend over and really stare at it, and you analyze it. Why do you say that? 
Seems like I've heard that verse before. See, I, what, what, what do I need to see here, Jesus? What, what are the verbs that are here? Why, why etc. You're intently looking at it. So which kind of father are you, a doer or a hearer? The blessed man is a what? He's a doer. He's a doer. He's not just a hearer. Letter A, D, A, what's it represent? It's admirer. What kind of admirer? Um, well, Ephesians 5, 25 tells you what kind of admirer he is. Husbands, it's in English. I got it in English. You got it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You thought I was going to pull a fast one on you. Yeah. Uh, husbands, do what? Love your wives. Hmm. Okay, Lord, you know, we live in D.C. We analyze things. We've got to have some more info. I've got to have some more details. Like, like, how am I supposed to love her? You know, just as <laughs> Christ also loved the church. And uh, what did he do for the church? Ooh. He died for the church. In fact, there'd be no church if Jesus didn't come to the earth, left the glory of heaven, left the glory of heaven, all the angelic class, worshiping before his throne, left the glory of his throne, the glassy sea, the rainbow around his throne, the lightning, the thunder, the smoke, the translucent ground that you walk on when you stand before God. He left that awesomeness to become a servant, to go to the cross for us, to die for our sin, not his, and rise the third day. And how should you love your wife? Like that. That she knows above all things that I would die for her. I would sacrifice for her. Selfless sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives. It's a present tense command in the Greek text. Uh, meaning, well, number one, it's not a suggestion. If you're a Christian man, Christian father, it's not a suggestion. Uh, uh, and it is ongoing because it's present tense. Yeah, you can never wake up and go, okay, I, feel, I fulfilled that command, honey. Moving on. No, no. It's a daily thing to love her more. So if you're looking at your wife right now, if she's sitting by you, uh, if you look at her and go, Am I really growing up in the faith? Do you feel like I love you more every day? Do I tell you that I love you? Do I show you that I love you? Because agape is selfless love. This is the love of Jesus. So you show me a father uh, who hears the word of God to love his wife uh, and, and, and does, show, does show that love and obeys the word of God. And I'll show you a man that is, his wife relationship is just flourishing because she senses the love. Now, <laughs> I'm going to show you a, a chart. Now, I know I've showed you this before. I'm going to show it to you again. But I'm going to show you another part of the chart that I didn't show you the last time I showed you this. So you ready? Yeah. So there, there's a book called um, uh, Love and Respect. It's excellent. Every married couple should read this book. I read it last year. Uh, to, uh, it is an excellent book. So uh, Emerson Egerix uh, has in this book two things that you need to know as a leader of your family, as a, as a father, and as a husband. It's what he calls the energizing cycle. So here it is. How does a great relationship work that's blessed? Well, he, he loves his wife sacrificially. And when a man loves his wife, when there's no doubt from that wife that my husband is in love with me, that motivates her to look at him and go, man, I respect him all day long. And then that motivates her, uh, if you keep moving around the circle, uh, uh, to show him great respect when he looks at his wife and says, wow, she really respects me. I really love her for that. He loves her more, motivates her respect, have this beautiful energizing cycle that builds that relationship. I've been married 43 years. I, I understand the importance of the energizing cycle. How do you get on that as a man? I love your wife. That, that's, a growing, that's a growing Christian man. He, he loves his wife. Uh, and what's, what's the opposite of that? Well, that's that other cycle, the crazy cycle. A lot of guys get on this because I've talked to them and they're like, I don't know what's going on in my marriage, but man, it is, it's a war zone. And she needs to get fixed some things. <laughs> so the crazy cycle is if the man doesn't show her love, she reacts by, I ain't respecting you. 
When you get your act together, I'll respect you. And because she's not showing him respect, he reacts like, I ain't loving you until you respect me. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you guys understand this on the top? (laughs) It's the crazy cycle. I don't know where you're at in your marriage today, but according to this root beer bottle, A is you admire her. It means you love her. You love her. Uh, and if you're on the, the crazy cycle, it's, it's not hard to get off of it. You, you as a man, just start loving her. Well, what does that mean? Well, uh, that means that uh, you put her first. You tell her you love her. You show her love. You do acts of love toward her. You, you, you know, you, you sit with her. You hold her hand. I mean, all that stuff. You love her. But it's that love stuff. Are you doing that? Because that gets you off, the, off that crazy cycle onto the energizing cycle. And when you became a Christian, the Lord gave you the Holy Spirit as a man who's, who's now a father and a husband. He gave you the Holy Spirit. Why? He's the power that teaches you how to love her in a way that you're not equipped to do. And when you submit to him, according to Ephesians 5.18, when you submit to the Spirit who's with you and you yield to the Spirit, you're telling him, Lord, man, I, I need to improve. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to love her. Like, you want me to love her? He'll show you. He'll show you straight away. And uh, that's the kind of father I had uh, who's now with the Lord. But my, my dad loved my mom. And I watched him in action. Love her and admire her. Uh, and put her, put her first above all things. Uh, praise God for dads like that. We've got many here. The last D that we're going to look at is uh, he's a deliverer. He's a deliverer. Uh, so <laughs> a wise, godly, maturing father uh, always gives insight to those who are around him. He shares sagacious wisdom. Now, I am not talking about dad-isms. <laughs> now, I grew up in it. You know, yeah. My mom's from Arkansas. And my dad's from South Carolina. I, I get dad-isms. I mean, my dad is like, I couldn't even write them all down. I, when he was passing away, I'm like, I should have written all these down. Because they're just prolific. Like, where do you people in the South get all these things? But, we, but even with, if you're not from, you know, family from the South, you've all heard dadisms, right? Like what? Now you forgot them? You, did, you, what is a dadism? Yeah, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Okay, hopefully your dad's moral. Yeah, yeah. What else? That's a dadism. Yeah. Did you say bless your mother? Or go ask your mother, yeah. Yeah, that's a brave man right there. Uh, okay, any, any other dadisms? What? Boy, that, that's the truth. Yeah, I've learned that one the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, when I was your age. You heard that one? Like you said, is that in the Bible? Should be. Um, do you think I'm made of money? <laughs> When you pay the rent. What's the rest of that? You can make the rules. Uh, Were you raised in a barn? Son, you need to keep your eye on the ball. Well, I'm batting 420, Dad. I ain't talking about that. You got to keep your eye on the ball. So those those are dadisms, right? But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritualisms. I mean, that come from the Word of God. So... uh, a godly father understands the word of God and applies it not only to himself, but when he learns it, he applies all that wisdom to everybody else around him, starting with his family, like his children. So 
This week I went through, I love the book of Proverbs. I went through Proverbs and I looked at Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and realized as I, I traced out the usage where he said, my son, um, you know, basically listen unto me. It, it's a beautiful thread all throughout the book of, uh, uh, of Proverbs. So we'll just camp on Proverbs 1. When he starts out talking to his son, so it's Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, talking to his son, and he's telling him, son, this is how to live a quality life before the all-seeing eye of God. What did he tell him? Uh, verse 10 of chapter 1. Very first thing he tells his son. My son, if sinners enticed you, like your buddies, what should you do? Go with them. Uh-uh. Don't consent. And if they say, come with us, uh, let, us uh, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause. Uh, if they say that, uh, let us uh, swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as they go down into the pit, which is the word for death. Uh, we shall find all kinds of precious wealth. Man, we're going to score. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm filling into the Bible. Um, we shall fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us, and we will have one purse. It's going to be amazing if you just come with us. My son, don't walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. Why? What does it say? For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Okay, so, <laughs> wow. There, there's a lot here. So do you think he's talking to a toddler? Mm -mm. You think, do you talk to a toddler like that? You need to sit down right here. I need to talk about peer pressure. Huh? Yeah, no. So I want to talk about raising children in light of what the scripture says is wise living based on the development of a child. Because he's probably not talking to a little child here. He's probably talking to an adolescent. But before we get to an adolescent, I want to talk about, you know, being a father who now has my son's 40th birthday is tomorrow. It's like, it's kind of scary. I haven't aged, but, you know, that, yeah. <laughs> So I understand, like, going through those ages. Remember when you were going through those ages? Or maybe you're going through them now. So when the child is small, uh, we would say, like, birth through, say, three years old. You know? Uh, they're more like the cars at the Radiator Springs in Disneyland. Are you with me? Like, you ever, have you ridden these? They're awesome. I'm from, I'm from California. I mean, I went to college in L.A. I mean, I've been on these things many times. So you, they strap you in. It's awesome. Uh, the last car I had was a red car. Uh, and, you know, they release the magnets or whatever they do. And shoom, I mean, you are like gone. I mean, it's like cool. Um, but when you think about it, are you driving that car? No, 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 no. You're not driving that car at all. You're just along for the ride. Because if you see that little groove in the road right there, that, that, that's holding you on that track. And you're not coming off of that. But you think you're driving, but you're really not. That's like birth through three years old or four years old. Because the little kid thinks he has a free will, but he doesn't. Because you have tight controls on that little kid, right? Don't you? Now, what happens when they get a little bit older? Well, let's move up. Five to six years old. This is kind of like uh, Autotopia at Disney World. Because every time I've written this, I've thought to myself, since I was a little kid in the 60s driving these cars, man, this is awesome. I'm in total control. Bam. What's, what's up with that? You know, you're hitting the, the middle rail. But I had a little bit more freedom, right? And there's a sign, you know, do not ram cars in front of you. Because you possibly could, and I have. Uh, especially if it was my sister's car. Uh, you know, I'm coming for you. It's a Christian thing. Um, so this is like a kid that's, you know, five years old to maybe, you know, 11 or 12. Has a little bit more freedom, can move around, hit the gas, steer the car. But he's still got parental parameters around him, right? Right? And then comes adolescence. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's adolescence like? Like that? 
all of a sudden you have a 17-year-old indie car at your house. And what are they like? Uh, well, there's walls that are built to hold them in, but you're giving them a little bit more authority. But boy, they're an interesting kind of car, aren't they? Have you had an adolescent yet? Are you, you're heading there? Well, let me, let me equip you. What are they like? I wrote down some things of what they're like. They question authority. Why do I have to do that? Uh, they question uh, what they've been taught as true. <laughs> I actually told that to my mother. Is my mother here? Yeah, my mother is here. Uh, when, I, when I went to uh, college in L.A. and she came up to see me, a couple four-hour drive to see me with my dad, how's things going? As she was getting back into the car, I looked at her and I, this is what I told her. I said, Mom, I just want to let you, Mom, you know, Dad, and thanks for letting me come to college and stuff in L.A., but I just want to let you know I'm evaluating everything you and Dad taught me to see whether it's true or not. <laughs> she about passed that on the cement right there. But I had to know is the faith they gave me, the things they taught me, is that true? Well, obviously, I've I've embraced what they taught me because it was true. But that kind of thing. They, they question that. They question responsibility. They develop their own abstract thinking. Uh, they think that they're more intelligent and wiser than you. No adolescents over here? Yes. Um, they, they strive to be independent, but they're not too jazzed when they get negative consequences because of their independence. It kind of shocks them. Uh, and they wonder to whom they should conform to. Yeah. So... Yeah, I've, I've been an adolescent, and you've probably been one. You've probably raised one or two. That's kind of like what they're like. So who's Solomon talking to? He's talking to an adolescent, a father to an adolescent. He's saying, son, uh, you, you need to listen to me. Let me tell you, the very first lesson in Proverbs about wise living is about which friends you pick. <laughs> Isn't that important? Because if you pick bad friends, you're going to do bad things. I mean, most likely. So you should surround yourself with, well, moral kids, godly kids. Why? Because they'll help you walk with God and not walk away from God. Because if you walk with the wrong friends, they're going to get you to do things you never thought you would do. When I pastored my parents for the, uh, 20 years in California, I was their pastor. They would walk out of church most times and my dad would say, man, I learned more about what you did when you were under my roof than I ever knew. Because <laughs> you don't tell them, right? Just like, they'll never know, etc. Yeah, because I've been the, the, the crazy adolescent, but I'm so glad I listened to my parents. Because my dad was U.S. Customs, and one of his best friends was, uh, so he's the supervisor at the Port of Entry uh, in Calexico, California, and one of his friends uh, was the head of the Border Patrol. But my dad started in Border Patrol and then eventually moved over to Customs, but he still had friends over in the Border Patrol. So these two men had two sons, me and this other guy's son, Mike. We were both athletes. We both played baseball. Uh, we both wrestled, Mike wrestled. I mean, so, so, but Mike was a way better athlete than I ever was. But we had great dads who, who taught us, but I listened to my dad, Mike didn't. So when the team said, hey, if you want to be part of the team and really roll with us and be part of the inner group, you got to party with us. I never went to a party. Mike did. And I didn't go to a party because of what they did at parties. And in uh, one night, driving home drunk, Mike flipped his car, snapped his spine, and never walked again. Uh, he came to Christ because of that, praise God, and became one of the greatest witnesses to our senior class that I have ever seen for Jesus Christ. Because he taught them the power of peer pressure, and you better pick good friends. But he learned the hard way. So, you know, what kind of, if you're a young person here, uh, listen to your father. When he's giving you that, that counsel out of the Word of God, he, he's telling you those things because he loves you and wants you to live a life that's pleasing unto God. Um, well, that's that letter. Your dad's a deliverer. And then the last one, he's a supporter. 
The S is a supporter. Remember we're talking about the acronym on this bottle? The S is a supporter. That the dad is there, he's like your cheerleader. I have a video of a, of a dad who's a, just a crazy supporter of his daughter. What, this is amazing. Watch, watch this video. <laughs> that is Holland at last weekend's homecoming game in Yorktown, Virginia, moving perfectly in sync with the Falcons' cheer team. Holland is a retired <laughs> Air Force major who has learned every move to the team's touchdown routine, right down to that. <laughs> Holland earned the nickname Cheer Dad after going viral in 2019, as, as you can see, he is still at it. <laughs> saw that online this week, and I'm like, you serious? There is no way. I mean, my daughter was on the cheerleading squad. I don't think I could have done that. You know, I'm going to get the moves. Uh, uh-uh, no, no way. Now, did you, now, do you think that daughter has low self-esteem? No, why? Because her dad's there. And he's not only there, he knows all the moves of the team. And they can see him. They don't need a coach. They got a dad. <laughs> So I saw that, I'm like, wow! I mean, that is just amazing. So, uh, are, you that, are you that kind of dad? That you show up for your kids' things? That you're there? You support them? Now, you know, I was thinking about the scriptures. Is there a verse in the scriptures that says, thou shalt show up for your children's games? Nope. The word lacrosse is not in the Bible. <laughs> Neither is the word soccer or baseball. They're not, they're not in there. But here's how I look at it. First Timothy 4, a Peter or uh, Paul and Timothy, Paul's like the old pastor. Timothy's a young and upcoming pastor. Uh, Paul is like the spiritual father. Timothy's like the son. Watch how Paul talks to the spiritual son as he writes to him. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. What's he doing? He's a coach. What's he doing with, with his son? He's saying, son, I know we've talked about this before, but you know, I'm getting older, I'm going to be passing on, and I'm passing the torch uh, to you to shepherd the church. What, do you, what should you be doing? Well, don't forget to read the Bible in, in, in church, which means you bring your Bible to church. And he, he goes through and exhort, exhorts him. You know, and God, he said, I, God gave you a spiritual gift that, that, I, that I, I witnessed when they laid hands on you and the Spirit of God came on you and gave you a spiritual gift. Uh, don't forget to use it, whether it's the gift of discernment, the gift of teaching, whatever that gift is, go use that gift. This is the, this is the spiritual dad coming alongside the son. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1, he says, you, ther- you therefore calls him my son. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's last letter before he's executed in 64 AD by Nero. I think it was about that time. He said, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men. Why? They will be able to teach others also. And what else did he say? Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier to Christ Jesus. Don't leave your post ever as a pastor. Don't let anybody run you away. Don't fear man, fear God. Teach the word of God and be strong in Jesus. This is all stuff I'm sure that Peter or, uh, Paul had, had taught him before, and Timothy totally understood, because he suffered hardship when he was, he was with Paul. But he's just coming alongside as a cheerleader saying, I'm cheering for you. As, as I prepare for you know, my departure into God's glory, I want to just cheer you along the way. Do you do that with uh, your children? Encourage them? 
or do you think your spiritual gift is discouragement? See, it's the dad that's growing in Christ is the encourager of those children. He's like spiritually showing up and, and cheering. A wise, godly father does show up to a soccer game, doesn't he? And to a lacrosse game. And he does cheer. And he does, he's excited that for his children. A wise, godly father cheers when you get a diploma. When you're walking across the stage, you can see your dad. You can hear your dad. He's excited. Uh, a godly father, uh, he, when you find that, that girl that you're going to finally marry, he's excited for you. And he cheers for you. Uh, it, it, on and on it goes. I'll leave it for you to apply it where it goes, but you are cheering for them. Do you cheer for your children? Do you show up for them? Uh, my father was like that. <laughs> my dad had a deep bass voice. Uh, you could not help but hear him. I always said, why didn't God give me your voice? It was deep and mosaic. Uh, when I played baseball, there could be 500 people in the stands when I was at a, at a, at a tournament and you'd step up the plate, and you'd clean off the key, step up into the plate, get ready to hit, and, you know, pitch would go by. What'd you let that one go for? <laughs> step out of the box. What's up with you? Step back in the box, you know. Another pitch goes by. Should have jumped on that, son. I mean, <laughs> my dad was such a baseball fanatic. But, but he was there to encourage me, to teach me, to mold me. I'll never forget that. We have a, a ball bag red striped bag full of baseballs that when I would go to practice, I was an outfielder, left fielder, after practice, if I didn't track a ball to the warning track good enough or come down with the ball, after, you know, pop up over the shortstop, if I, I didn't get it there fast enough, my dad took me to practice after practice. Had little bags, son, we're going out. <laughs> and we go out to fill by my house and he hit me more. Why? He wanted me to be, be, be the best, be good. He cared about me. He cheered for me. I'll never forget him for that. You cheer for your children. You'll never drink this again the same, right? What's the first D? Stands for a doer. Am I a doer as a dad? That's the question. A stands for? Admire it. Do I admire my wife and love her intently? D? Do I deliver? Do I teach my children to deliver them from evil? And then last? Do I support my children? Do I support them? Yeah, I work. I have a job. Now, I'm not talking about that kind of support. I'm talking about spiritually support them, emotionally support them. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to be a father. Uh, and thank you for the scriptures that teach us and challenge us to be great fathers to our children. Because one day we do hand off the mantle of authority to them and they go off to live a life. And hopefully it's the kind of life that honors you and brings many people into the kingdom. Bless our fathers today. Uh, this is their day uh, where we showcase them. Uh, give them the strength uh, to be the kind of man you want them to be and to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In Christ's name, amen.